thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, for those who don't know me, my name's Mark, and uh, for your friends of Caden, your friends of mine, welcome tonight. Uh, really blessed to have you here, and we uh, just want to take some time looking in his words. If you have your Bibles, would you grab them? Uh, I would also encourage you tonight to take notes. This has been kind of like a mini-series with like a maximum amount of scripture that we could possibly jam into three weeks, tonight being no different. So there's some note sheets in front of you. There's also some pens would love for you to, um, to, to jot some of these things down. You can look them up later. Uh, to those watching online with us, uh, we're grateful for that as always. Uh, it's uh, just one of those neat ways to use technology for, for good and for the, for the gospel. Um, tonight as well, to those who are here on Saturday night, you may not realize we have a Sunday morning church as well. I know, crazy, right? But uh, we do, uh, and uh, they they are packed, and so we've been. I know it's good, but we've been we've been encouraging some of them to come here and join us on Saturday nights because our heart is to not fill buildings. Our heart is to see people's lives changed, and uh, not just you know one service full, but service after service after service. It doesn't matter how much we want to see people's lives changed by a real God. There's people looking for God. I don't know if you know that. Uh, I was talking with Zach. I sent him to buy me a pumpkin for the great pumpkin hunt. And he, he went there and he bought a tiny pumpkin. I was really not happy. But, um, <laughs> but, but while he was there, he was talking to somebody and the guy was like asking him about the Lord. And, and uh, you know, can you tell me how I can find God? He heard he was a pastor of a church. And I'm like, people, people are looking for him. And maybe that's you here tonight and you're looking for him. And you know what? He's looking for you. He's drawing on you tonight, and so we want to take a, take a look at uh, this kind of this little finale of our series on Enough, and we just call tonight Fully Re- Rely on God. And so this, this message is actually still sort of working its way together for me, so let's just see how this goes. And uh, uh, Zach actually last week touched on something during his call to worship that, that just sort of lodged here, and he talked about how there was like a heaviness in people's hearts and lives. Just feeling it. They're like, maybe it's you too. I don't know if it's the weather, the time change coming up, uh, just a, a lot going on. And it feels like there's like this, this heaviness. And uh, as we said last week, you know, that putting on the garment of praise, just turning our hearts and our minds towards him, it lifts that burden. But I don't know about you. I find that it's pretty easy where it tries to come back again. And sometimes we pick the burden up because we get messing around in sin like we shouldn't. And then we feel the weight. Other times, it gets dumped on us. Like, we were having a great day, and then somebody felt like they need to ruin it. And then we're, like, carrying that. And other times, it's because we have people we love, and they're walking through hell. And you just can't help but say, brother, let me carry the load with you. And there's a weight. And regardless of what it is, that heaviness makes it difficult to run. And, and, you know, we look at it in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, verse 1 scripture we often reference. Um, He said, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, he's talking about all these heroes of faith. He says, let's strip off every weight that slows us down and let's, uh, especially the sin that easily trips us up and let's run with endurance the race that God set before us. So, you know, we realize like it's, it's just logical when you're running a race, carrying weight is not beneficial. And yet we see it in our lives, in our pursuit of Christ, that sometimes there's this weight that, that carries and and weighs us down. And tonight I just want to talk about the the thought of fully relying on God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how he's enough. If we would just recognize that in our life, he either is the answer or has the answer, he's enough. But the thing is that our, our full dependence, our full reliance on God, the word rely, it just simply means depend on with full trust and confidence. That's what it means. That's what it means to be reliant. And I don't know about you, but there are not many things in our life that you can fully rely on. Have you noticed? 
Like I thought, man, Toyotas and Hondas were like the most reliable vehicle. Like I've always had them and they're always great till this one. It's like just determined to change my mind about the brand. I may give it one more chance, but I also realize, oh, I thought they're so reliable, but nothing is fully reliable when it comes to a vehicle. They all have the, uh, their lifespan. You know, even the water heater, it says reliance on it. <laughs> Not so. Not so. You know, if maybe you thought, well, I can rely on my education. You know, and you go through like however six years of school and, you know, $100,000 of debt, and you're like, sweet, this is going to guarantee me a job. Uh, Tim Hortons. Right? It's like, you thought, man, I could rely on this. It's my fallback plan or whatever, and, and maybe not. Or like, I'll just make lots of money. I can rely on it. It's crazy how money just disappears. You know, or stocks, you're like, I know, I'm guaranteed. Like, it's always going to grow. It's all, and then you're like, wait, it's not, it's not growing. Or retirement, you know, I, I'm going to get there. And, and some, you're like realizing, man, I can't, I can't count on that anymore. You know, I can't count on our government leaders, can't count on our medical system, can't rely on the leaders in my life, can't rely on some of the people in my life, can't rely on my spouse, can't rely on my parents sometimes, can't rely on my kids. Like, there's nobody out there who's fully reliable. Sure, they're for seasons, but completely, fully reliable. And you know what happens when you have this and this and this and this and this that prove themselves to be unreliable? You begin to assume that that's an absolute truth. Just subconsciously, you begin to think, well, there's nothing that's absolutely reliable. There's no one that's completely reliable. And if you see it everywhere, we begin to, we get to put that onto who God is. That maybe he's not completely reliable. That we can't put our full reliance on him. I like what, you know, Caden shared a bit in his story. He's like, man, I start going through some tough stuff. It's like, I don't know if he's there. And if he is, I don't know if he cares. See, and it matters to us that that's not just a thought, but that's a reality that we live, is that our reliance is totally on God. You know, back in the day, how many remember what would Jesus do bracelets? Just kind of hold up a wrist. Yep. What would Jesus do bracelets? Yeah. So there was, a, there was another one called um, um, Frog, which was, you know, fully rely on God. Frog. It was like so cute, except there's nothing cute about it. I want to have Mr. T up there saying, you know, there's nothing cute about it. Uh, but then half of you don't know who Mr. T is. So... I'm getting old. I'm getting old. Yep, amen. It's a privilege. But I thought maybe, maybe tomorrow I'll find like the big ugly frog. It's like there's nothing cute about fully relying on God because it's not, it's not a cute thing. It's not just a nice slogan. It's something so, so important. It's, you know, it's so easy to claim reliance on God when everything's going well. Right, when it's going easy, it's easy then to say, oh yeah, frog, you know, fully rely on God. You know, we got this, we got this saying. But that's not when you need it to be true. You need it to be true when everything is going the opposite. It's like wedding vows. You know, I do lots of weddings, and then people, people I make people write their own vows, sometimes just because I want to see what they're going to write. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny. If you're getting married, here, write this down, because this is going to be really important, especially when I ask you to write your vows. You know what I'm looking for. Uh, but they write their vows, and they make them sound flowery, and they want them to be sentimental, and they want them to be, like, really personal, and, you know, I love you, and your ingrown toenails, and whatever, you know, weird, weird stuff sometimes. It's like, whatever, right? Or they quote something from, a, from like uh, Tombstone or Yellowstone or whatever that show's called. Um, and it's like, you know, uh, this, is, this is my vows to you. And basically, you know, a lot of them, sometimes it comes down to this. They basically could just say this. I take you to be my wife as long as you're hot and healthy, as long as we're rich and everything goes the way I want it to. 
<laughs> Woohoo! Okay, girls, if anybody says that to you, just run. They're not marriage material. But, but none of us want vows like that, right? We don't, we don't even need those parts. We, we know that they're going to stay with us, you know, when everything's going well and we're in our prime and we're rich. and They're, they're not going to go anywhere then. All we really need, here's the only vow you need to say is, I take you to be my wife for worse, for poorer, in sickness till death. Done. You want great vows? That's them. I know, some of you are like, can we redo them? <laughs> You've made what I see from up here. That's all they need. You know, I say that because some people have built their relationship with the Lord on those previous vows. They have. They consider things like, oh, God is loves. He just loves everybody. You know, and his burden's light. Oh, I could sure use that. My life's tough. I'll take a light burden. He'll answer all your prayers, et cetera, et cetera. And say, he's a plan, a purpose for your life, and it's going to be great. And he just wants to bless you. And you're like, I could use some of that. And it's like, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you. But I wonder if too many Christians have used that as their stepping stone into a relationship with the Lord and built only on one side of this equation. And as a result, they find themselves struggling with this reliance on God. Think about this. First, 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul writes this. And it's one of the verses I heard lots of times quoted as a kid. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Like all of Abraham's promises are mine. And there's, these, there's this truth to that where it's like, yeah, in Christ, it's all yes. Everything, everything, every one of the promises in here, it's just mine. I can just, I can just find it, quote it, say it, declare it, it's mine. And, you know, all those things, like God is love, his burden is light, he'll answer all your prayers, they're all true. They're all true. But there's another side to consider. He doesn't always answer your prayers the way you want him to. There's two truths in tension here. It's like often describes like a tightrope. Wes, Wes DeVries used to always talk about this. He's like, it's like a tightrope. You have to have this truth and that truth in both in line in order to hold the line where you can stand and walk on it. If one of those truths doesn't exist, there's no line to stand. There's no way to balance in between. And if we think, oh, it's just God's good. He's got all this. It's like, this is, this is, my, this is my understanding of relationship with God. Our prayers begin to sound like this. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. My kingdom come and my will be done. Sooner than later, amen. I know we don't say it like that, but have you listened to yourself pray? Have you listened to like, what is it that we're saying, God, this is, what, this is what I want, this is what I need? And sometimes I think it's important for us to consider what, what happens when God says no. And some of you, you've had God say no recently in your life. You know, scripture refers to us as God's children, and like many children, we don't like that word, no. We don't. My kids hate it. So I use it a lot. No, I'm just kidding. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't like it. We don't like it. It's actually in those moments where we, where we hear a no that we're tempted to rely on us instead. It's like, okay, God, you say no, but I'll find my own way to do it. And man, do we get ourselves in trouble. Man, do we get ourselves in trouble. Some of you are like, I don't think that's the Bible. I'm pretty sure God says yes and amen to everything. Didn't we just read that? Let me give you a few, few just, uh, just a few spots in Scripture where we hear God say no. You know, Abraham prays for Sodom to be spared, and God says no, Genesis 18. And Jonah, Jonah's wishes for Nineveh to be destroyed, and God says, nope, I'm going to save them, Jonah 1 and 4. David prays for his son to be healed, 
God says no. Second Samuel chapter 12. David says, oh God, I want to build you a temple. I want to do something great for you. He's like, no. Second Samuel 7. He's like, yeah, it's all Old Testament. All right, God said it. Paul goes to preach in Acts. He says, I'm going to go to Asia. I'm going to preach the gospel. It's what you called me to do. And the Lord says, no. You see it in Acts 16. He's like, okay, not Asia, then Bithynia. No. He's like, well, A, B, let's go to C. He's like, no. No. Like, God, isn't this what you wanted me to do? Yes, but not here. Not your way. I want it my way. You know, the, you know I think about the disciples and they, they come to Jesus and they get their mom involved. They're like, we want places of power. We want to be your right hand and left hand. What does he say? It's not a trick question. No. You know, and then uh, they're like, well, we want to call down fire on those people. That whole village over there. He's like, no, no. Peter's like, Jesus, I want you to tell me how John's going to die. He's like, no. You're like, yeah, it's in there. John 21. You can read it. You know, he's like, no, no, no. We see Paul. Paul says, Lord, I want this thorn in my life. Whatever it is, I want you to take it away. People argue about whatever the thorn is, but we all know that Paul didn't want it. That we can agree on. Whatever it was, he didn't want it. And he's like, three times I prayed, Lord, would you take it away? And the answer was, no. You know, I think about Jesus praying in the garden where it says, and I noticed this this week, Jesus was in the garden. And three times he goes and says before the Lord, Lord, if there's any other way, if I don't have to do that, Please, please let me not have to do that. And his answer is no. You know, I think, think, what if he'd answered yes to that? Okay, Jesus, you don't have to do that. None of us are here today. Paul, you know, says, okay, Paul, we'll take the thorn away. He writes later, that thorn was meant to keep him humble. He could have been one of those guys who's full of pride. And what happens with pride? A fall. Here we have the scriptures as a result because of, of, of him simply saying no. I mean, I'm reading Fox's Book of Martyrs right now. That's maybe a little heavy, too. But in Fox's Book of Martyrs, we got people who are burned at the stake for wanting to read this themselves. They're like, I want to read it in my own language. I want to read scriptures for myself. And they're like, yeah, you want to read it? We'll use those to light you up. And on their way there, they had every opportunity to say, I I changed my mind. I recant. I recant. And they didn't. They trusted that God would would do what God wanted done, and their answer was no. You know, they, 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 they went to the stake for not believing that the communion bread turned into Jesus' body or that wine turned into his blood, and they went there. They went, they went to the stake because they wouldn't believe or say that the Pope was, you know, the one to go between them and the Lord. They're like, no, Jesus is our only Messiah. We don't need anybody else. They're like, well, you're going to meet him. They're like, perfect, let's go. And they sang their way to the stake, like these people had an incredible reliance on God. They just knew, Lord, whatever happens, it doesn't matter. I know I can trust you. It's not all about here. Look at Hebrews 11. Most people read Hebrews 11 and they read all the, the first people. All the people are amazing in faith. This person by faith, by faith, by faith. But you get to the end of it, the end of the hall of fame of faith. It says there was others who by faith were tortured, were mocked, were whipped, were imprisoned, were stoned, were sawn in two, were slain with a sword, were destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Like, I think that's a whole lot of No. Like, Lord, please make it all go away. Lord, please make, make me not have to go through anything difficult. No. No. And you're like, well, this is not a very pleasant message. But it's real for so many, no? It really is. 
It's more real for us than we want to realize. And, you know, most of them, they had this deep reliance on the Lord, and they continued to follow him in spite of their circumstances. And you know what I find a lot is that people start hitting tough circumstances, and they begin to waver. And they begin to wander. And they begin to wonder, like, Lord, (laughs) are you really there? Man, we hear it in Caden's story tonight. But it's not just him. He's brave enough, courageous enough to put it out there. But how many of us have sat there at the same things? Like, Lord, Lord, are you really there? Because this is really tough. And you know what happens sometimes? There's some of this silence in response. And then we really begin to wonder. But I want to ask you this tonight. Have you considered why you're following Christ? Have you thought about that recently? You know, many said, like they were told, following Christ will make your life better. You'll have a better marriage, you'll have more money, you'll be healthier, you know, all those things. And it's, it's interesting, they actually, you know, um, Nancy Piercy wrote a book called Total Truth, but uh, studying Harvard, she, uh, uh, she just referenced a Harvard study that said this, and it's good for the youth. So you hear this, it says, adolescents who attend religious services at least once a week have greater life satisfaction, lower probabilities of marijuana use, and early sexual initiation, and fewer lifetime sexual partners. Their lives are, have the likelihood of greater satisfaction just by going to a religious service once a week. We're like, man, we definitely want to reach kids. 100%, here's where we see it, even, even in the world they see it. it and that's true, that's true, but, but a better life is not the reason to follow Christ. Because I can promise you that those, there's going to be a number of those kids who are here every single week who are going to run into things that didn't go exactly as they thought. They thought, you know, oh, if you do it God's way, your marriage is going to work perfectly. And then how many Christian marriages? No hands, actually. For real, though. It's like, I thought if I did it the right way, it was going to work out for me. Guaranteed, God's going to... Not always. You know, if the relationship with God is just based on good circumstances rather than a good God, when the going gets tough, the tough get going somewhere else. Man, we, 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 can't, we can't afford for that to happen with our kids. We've talked about it many times that, that the next generation, that the younger generation is leaving the church in droves. But I think the problem is partly of how they got in. Part of it is how they got in. If they got in with this thought that everything's going to be peachy keen and then what it isn't. Oh man, I don't need this kind of God. And the challenge that Paul writes to many of the believers and the challenge for us tonight is this, to remain faithful, full of faith, full of trust, full of reliance on God no matter what. So let me give you a few points to consider tonight that may remind us in those times, that may remind us in those times where it's either the heaviness or it's the no that remind us to say, I'm going to keep on going. And so here's where we hop into his word So point number one tonight is this. The purpose of God's kindness is to lead us to repentance. The purpose of his kindness is to lead us to repentance. The purpose of his kindness isn't just to bless us so we feel blessed and our lives are hunky-dory. That's not the purpose of his kindness. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 Paul writes, don't you see how wonderfully kind, how tolerant, how patient God is with you? He's like, can you not see it? He's like, does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is actually intended to turn you away from your sin? To turn us away from something that's so ugly and recognize the ugliness of it and be like, no, I'm not like, hey God, you know, I just want you in my life so I can keep doing this. He's like, no, I want you to see that for what it is and turn and realize, oh, you 
are good. You are good. Oh, oh, oh. You are good. You are good. Oh, oh. Somebody should write a song. (laughs) To become convinced of it. God is good all the time. God is good. God is good. And when he says no, he's good. Yeah, he's good all the time. You know, Oswald Chambers, we mentioned him last week. I've been reading his utmost for his, uh, my utmost for his highest. And he writes this, where we talk so often about how Christ is for you. He's for you. He's for you. But we better be really careful that we only say that to those who, who want Christ formed in them. He's not for people who are like, I just want God in my life so I can just kind of wander this, like, this lukewarm Christianity. He's not for that. He's not why he gave his life on the cross. And Oswald says this, it's not Christ for me unless I'm determined to have Christ formed in me. I'm like, yeah, but you know, if we get caught in that spot, we're like, oh, I just want, you know, God, whatever is for me, we find ourselves in those places of worry and wonder and wander. Romans 5 verse 8, he says this, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, he, he, was, he was kind and loving Before we ever met him, before we ever knew him, he already was. You catching that? He already was kind and good before we ever even knew about him. And while we were still sinners, it's then that he showed his love for us. Man, when you think about that, he is good. He is already full of character, full of kindness, full of love, full of faithfulness, full of goodness. And our perspective of him did not define that. It did not determine that. He is already that. He is God and I am not. Why does that matter? Because sometimes we get focused on, you know, when God says no or when things are dark or when things are heavy and we stop focusing on when God said yes. Have you thought about what he said yes to? He said yes to a rescue mission that was going to cost him his very life. He said yes to a cruel cross so that we could be saved He said yes to a lost man so I could be found. He said yes to a dead man so I could live. He said yes to you. He said yes to you. He said no to holding on to heaven. He said no to all of that so he might come for us. It's an incredible, incredible thing. We often ask, what more does he have to do for us? That's a great, that's a great, great question to keep on on the tip of our tongue. What more? Lord, you don't need to do anything. There's a song, I forget the guy's name, but um, Cody Kearns, I think. He just talks about Jesus, like, I just want to be with you. You don't owe me anything. I'm not coming here for blessing. I'm not coming here because I need something. I just want you. That is his desire for us. That his kindness would turn us. That's repentance, is turning us to him Second thing I think is, you know, not an exciting point, but worth putting down is this. There is difficulty in following Christ. There is difficulty in following Christ. If you're here tonight, you're kind of wondering, you know, I think I want to do what Caden did. You know, I want to follow Christ. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 14, count the cost because there is one. But the truth is there's a cost to not following Christ too. And it's actually worse. It's actually worse. People are like, well, there's a cost to following Christ. Like, I can't do everything that I want to do, and it's not all about me, and he's not going to answer all my prayers. Correct. But I thought his burden was easy. You know, and his yoke is easy. His burden is light. It is light compared to the burden of sin. Man, the burden of sin, it just kills us. 
It's a burden that leads us to death. But when Jesus says, you can leave that burden behind and come take mine. You know what mine is? Right there. I need you to daily pick up your cross and carry it. I need you to die to you because you will just keep going back to that burden. My burden's way lighter. That you would die to your old self and live for me. We see it in Romans 6, 23. It says, uh, for the wages of sin is death. The burden of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so I live in this earthly body by trusting. I live by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live just in 100% reliance on him. That's what Paul's understanding was, and that his desire for anybody reading this was like, yeah, I don't know if I can walk and go, if I'm going to end up off camera, but it is that thought of going over to the cross in our, in our hearts and minds and realizing, man, my old life belongs here. It belongs here. It was going to end up here either way. Either it was going to be by, by his judgment on my sin, I would have ended up here, or it is by my repentance and placing it here that, that, that my old man is crucified like we need to think that way and realize that that old life, I mean, it's gotta, it's gotta stay dead. That it's not, there's nothing in it for us anymore. And that we would simply fully trust what he's done. We think about fully trust. You know, you ever see those trust falls where they put somebody up there and they, you know, you got to trust and we're going to carry them. And, and uh, it, that, that, that's cool, except that really like the trust fall usually only happens like a few feet off the ground. Trust fall is jumping out of an airplane strapped to somebody else who gets to pull the parachute cord. Been there, done that once. <laughs> you know, the, I, my wife talked me into it. I was terrified. We did it for our anniversary. I'm like, she, maybe she doesn't love me anymore. But <laughs> I was like, this is like not my deal. You know, 14,000 feet in the air, you look down at Haldeman, it's like a postage stamp, and they're like, okay, you ready? And I'm like, no, and they're gonna, they videotaped it all, and they could see me saying, no, no, we're not doing this. And they're like, hey, fold your arms as if you're praying. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. It was a trick, because then I couldn't hold on to the plane anymore. And they're like, as I fold my arms, they pushed me right out the plane. Fallen, fallen, fallen for 10,000 feet. By the time you hit 4,000, the guy, he, he pretends like I get to pull it, but he's not risking that on me. And he pulls the thing and it's like, oh, I'm alive. That's the fully trusting. And we can picture it in trust falls and we can picture it in parachutes, but what does it look like in our life with him? It looks like the God, when you say no, I'm okay with that. I trust you. 100%. When the things are, are not going the way that I thought, I trust you. And if you feel silent to me, it's okay. I trust that that's for a reason too. I am going to serve you for one reason, and it's that. It, nothing else matters. Third thought is this. His perceived silence does not mean his absence. His perceived silence does not mean his absence. Man, I, I, you know, I hear sometimes people are like, I'm praying and I'm praying and I don't hear him speaking, you know, or he's not answering the way I thought, so why, why should I pray? What, I've had that thought many, many times in my life. And it's so for, easy for us to look at the now and forget the bigger picture. It's so easy for us to think, you know, I, I got I to gotta hear him all the time. I, 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 I'll tell you this. 
in the history of living my life, my short little time of, of living my life for Christ, the last, you know, 35 years, I've had this happen a lot of times. You know what I found? I found this, that he's often allows that silence to see what I'm going to do. Am I going to keep going after him or am I going to wander? Am I going to keep looking for him like, Lord, I, I need you more. And, and I'll wait. I don't care how long it takes. I'll, I'll, I'll be here again tomorrow, Lord. I, I want, I'll, I'm going to read your word again tomorrow because I want to hear your voice. I'm not, I'm not giving up, Lord. You didn't give up for me. I'm not giving up. I'm, and guess what happens? After a little while, oh, boom, I begin to hear him once again. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. If it feels silent right now, he's, he's stretching you. He's maturing you. Like, I honestly believe that. I think we, we live in a time where we need mature followers of Christ, disciples who are like, it doesn't matter what comes, I'm in. The next hard thing that shows up isn't one of these like, oh, I gotta, do I, do I believe or do I not believe? Am I, am I in or am I, is he good? Is he not good? We, we, we won't have time for that anymore. It's simply, I'm just convinced he's good. Whatever's happening to me, I don't care. He's good. That is non-negotiable. So let's just go, Lord. Whatever it is, you and me, let's do this together. You know, I was chatting with somebody the other day, and they're like, man, a young person, they're like, I, I, I pray, but I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't, I don't think I hear God speaking. Man, young people, let, you know, I, this, this young person, I just said to them, okay, close your eyes. And they closed their eyes, and I went around behind them. I said, hey, can you see me? I'm like, no. Eyes are closed. I'm like, yep, good. In five seconds from now, can you hear me? No, they said. I'm like, am I here? They're like, yep. And I'm like, and I'm just a person. He's right here. He's right here. Sometimes it's because we aren't looking. We got our eyes here. We got our eyes on the problem. He's right here. That's what repentance is. It's like, I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn. And I promise you, you turn to him you find him. You know, there's that famous footprints poem, you know, where it talks about how walking through life, two steps of footprints in the sand. And, you know, when the going got tough, he's like, well, then I only saw one footprint, Lord. It was like you were with me until that point. And we all, you know, if you've read it, you know it. The end of that is like <laughs> the Lord tells him, like, in those toughest times, that's when I carried you. That's why there was only one set of footprints in that time. I never left you. You know, there's only one person who can leave in this relationship. And it's us. We're the only ones who can turn away. He never turns away. I love how Zach challenged the kids at the pumpkin hunt on uh, the other night, saying, you know, you're pursuing candy. Like, it's, there's never going to be another uh, you know, piece of sugar on the planet. You're like, got to find it, got to find it. You know, if there's another team, doesn't matter. I'm going to go. It's dark. I don't care. I'm, gonna, I'm not giving up. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Gonna, candy, 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 candy. We have video of it. Yeah, we'll send out the link later. It's great. But what was the challenge? Yeah, you know what? There's something way more important than candy. Go for him like that. I don't care if it's dark right now, Lord. It's the hardest time of my life, but I'm coming for you. God, I don't care if I haven't felt like I haven't heard you. I trust you're good and you know, and I'm just going to keep listening and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pursuing you. I'm not going to stop. The pursuit of his presence is not a location. It's a realization. He's here. It's that simple realization that, that he's here. You know, as you pray, your prayers aren't meant to change God. They're not meant to change his mind. They're meant to change you. 
They're meant to change us. It's this. He's ever present, and my prayer allows my heart to recognize it. He's the prince of peace and the source of peace, and prayer simply allows my heart to experience him. He's a source of strength, and uh, prayer just allows my heart to lean on him and not on me. You know, like how James says in James 4, he says in verse 7, humble yourselves before God. Recognize who you are and who he is. It's what he's saying. He says, then resist the devil. He'll flee from you. He has no chance when you're with the Lord. And then he says, come close to God. Come close to God. There's a part we play in this. Come close to God, and guess what? He comes close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, because your loyalty gets divided between God and the world, and that's that, uh, this, this part in our lives. And the challenge tonight is to see his goodness, pursue his goodness no matter what. And then finally, suffering's doing something in your life. Suffering is doing something. I'm not saying that all suffering's caused by God, but I'm telling you he's using it regardless of who caused it. It might have been you. You're like, my marriage is in trouble. God, why aren't you fixing? He's like, you're a knucklehead. You keep doing what you shouldn't be doing. I can't fix. I can't fix the marriage. I can fix you if you would just open your heart to me. To me. God, please save my spouse. They don't need saving. They, you're the only one that can allow him to work in you. And man, stuff can change as a result. But maybe you're suffering for something you've done. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it has nothing to do with you. You know, I was raised in kind of a theology that if, uh, if you're suffering, well, you're doing something wrong. There's not enough faith in your life. You've got you know, you to faith your way out of this. And for many, if you're raised like that, there's no room in your theology for suffering. And I'm telling you, we'll resist and fight the suffering rather than recognize that it's, it's doing something in our life. And I'm telling you, whether it's your fault or somebody else's or who knows whose fault it was that you're suffering, the answer is the same. Pursue Christ. Eyes on Christ. If it's sin in your life, he'll show you. If it's something else, he'll show you. And if it's not your fault, there's nothing you could have done, he will carry you and he will sustain you all the way through. I promise you that. Not because I can make that promise, because I know who he is. I know who he is. C.S. Lewis said it this way, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, tonight, maybe pain, you're experiencing things. He's he's calling you to him through it. It's amazing in how we find ourselves looking for God in times of pain. And as he's calling us to, maybe that's you tonight. You, You haven't put your trust in Christ. He's calling you. But the other side is you're a believer. He's maturing something in you. I promise you that. Because he could just snap his finger and take it away, but he doesn't. He doesn't always do that. I believe believe that in healing, I believe in all those things still. Don't get me wrong. This is is just the other side of the, the tension tonight. I believe in all of that stuff. But if it's still there, if it's still there, he's doing something in your life through it. Here, James chapter 1, verse 2. How can these people write this stuff? He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind... Come your way. Consider an opportunity for what? (laughs) Yeah, you guys sounded like you meant it. (laughs) Because we don't, right? We're like, oh, I know that's in the Bible, but it's not real in our lives, right? Great joy. Great joy. Why? Because you know, you know that when your faith is tested, you know when your reliance is tested, you know that when you're saying, God, I'm walking in faith, but man, I can't see it and I can't hear you. That is the faith. 
That is that trust of like, man, Lord, I'm, I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm following you. I'm relying on you. A hundred percent. Your endurance has a chance to grow. You know, Paul wrote so much of the New Testament to suffering believers. He tells them, hey, you know what? You, you're suffering, and guess what? I'm, I'm praying for you, but just know that in the meantime, your suffering is sharing in the sufferings of Christ. He wrote about it to the Philippians, Romans, Corinthians, here in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. Uh, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. Man, I've heard so many sermons on the second side of all of these things. We're not crushed. We're not driven to despair. We're never abandoned by God. You know, we're never destroyed. It's, it's a phenomenal, but it almost, it almost th- makes it appear like the other side isn't happening. But it's happening. We're hard-pressed on every side by trouble, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. Man, what a crazy, crazy thought. He's like, it wasn't like we are hard-pressed on every side, you know, by troubles, and we prayed, and God took them all away. He didn't say that. He's like, man, we, we're like, it's, it's on. It is so tough, but, man, I'm not crushed. I'm not giving up. I'm not out. I'm not quitting. He says, you know, you Start recognizing the suffering that Christ had in our life. Proverbs 24, verse 10, way, way back when Solomon wrote this. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. If you fail under pressure, all that stuff, your strength is too small. And I just highlighted the, uh, the part that I believe matters the most for us tonight is that your strength is too small. It will always be. It will always be. We are never enough. That's why I love Isaiah, you know, nobody puts this on the coffee mug. They all put this one on. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known and have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He never faints and he's not weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. Who, who gives it? He does, man. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. Young men will utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Why? It's that look into him. He's like, there's something there, and it's always been that way. He says, they'll mount up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Why? Because their eyes are on him. Their reliance is on him. Their trust is on him. So in closing tonight, I want to tell you the story of Derek Redmond. Reminded of this, uh, maybe you've heard his story. In 1998, Derek Redmond was uh, an Olympic athlete, uh, ran the 400 meters um, for, uh, for England. And uh, in, that, in that 1998 Olympics, he tore his Achilles, uh, or uh, yeah, he tore his Achilles heel one hour before the main race. His dreams dashed. He was like, I'm going to come back. In 1992, he did make it back. And uh, he was better than ever. He was running the 400. He was the fastest individual uh, time for the, uh, for the finals. He also was in the quarterfinals. He won his quarterfinals with ease. And so they approached the semifinals. And he was about to run this race. And he got off to a great start. And about halfway through, all of a sudden, he just crumples to the track. And he's grabbing his leg. And they realize that something's wrong with his hamstring, and they realize later that he had torn his hamstring. And then Derek, as he's laying there, just, just devastated, devastated, he gets up, and he begins to sort of hop on one foot, and he's going to try and hop the 200 meters to the end. And then his 
you know, as he's trying, his dad sitting in the stand sees him. And I just love this picture. His dad, Jim, runs out onto the track, runs up to him, realizing his son can't run on his own. And it just says that they have this little conversation. You want to finish this race? He's like, yeah, dad, I do. And he's like, well, then lean on me and let's do it together. And they limped and hobbled all the way to the end. The race was already done and won and everything else. But you know, that picture to me, we've talked often about how, wow, look at that. That's incredible, you know, determination. What an incredible thing. And we forget about the dad. Man, that's, that, that's the heart that the father wants us to run the race, to run the race that he set before us, to run with him, to run to him, to run for him. 2 Timothy 2 says it this way, and I'll leave you with this. Our last verse tonight, this is a faithful saying, Timothy. If we die with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, well, he will deny us. If we are faithless, if we stop relying, he remains faithful. He never changes. He never changes because he cannot deny himself. It's a faithful saying, if we die with him, if we're running down that race and we're like, God, I want to live. And he says, no. If we die with him, we will live with him. If we endure, it's tough, man. It is like everything's against me, but I'm not, God, I'm trusting you. I don't care. It's you and me because of what you've done for me. It's you and me. He says, you will reign with him. If we deny him, if we say, you know what, God, okay, I give up. I'm throwing in the towel. I don't believe you're good. I don't believe any of that more anymore. He says he denies us. And if we're faithless, he remains faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's fully reliable. Like no one else is. Nothing else is. And he deserves our full reliance on him. Tonight, if you're here, I challenge you to consider where you stand with the Lord tonight. If you're here and you don't know him, you just came like, hey, they said there was going to be free cake after the baptism. By the way, there's free cake after the baptism. <laughs> Sorry, online people, none for you. Um, but maybe you came tonight and, and, and you, you know, that's, you're just sort of here. And now you hear this and there's something going on here. It's not my voice. It's not my words. They don't have that ability to do that, but his does. And as you sit here tonight, you're like, man, I need to get right with the Lord. I know it. Do something with that tonight. Tell someone you know who's a follower of Christ saying, I don't know what I need to do, but like that pumpkin kid, like, I need to, I need to know about God. I, I need to get right with him. What do I need to do? And they'll tell you, if you don't know anybody, come talk to me. I would love to explain that to you tonight. And if you're here as a Jesus follower, and you even have some of that little stuff like I have in my life, where it's like, man, God, I'm in there when it's good. But when it gets tough, man, I just... I, I doubt, I, I'm always, I'm so frustrated, I, I, can't, I can't be praying, I, I stop reading the word, any of that stuff. Consider why you're following him. Because he's calling for full reliance on him. The angry frog. The one that's going to make it no matter what. <laughs> Fully rely on him. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for digging into our hearts showing us what's wrong in our lives, but also teaching us how to live, to do what's right. Holy Spirit, I know you've been working on my heart a lot in this area. I don't think I'm the only one. Father, I pray for those tonight who are hearing your voice. And that's what I pray more than anything, Lord, that they would hear your voice. 
they would recognize it as you, that it would be so crystal clear of what you desire for them to do. Lord, I pray that as we continue to be drawn to your word, we see it over and over, your goodness, your faithfulness, your truth for those of us who follow you. Lord, I pray that that only becomes clear, clear. Lord, we give you tonight, we give you the rest of our, our, our week, we give you our lives as you've given yours for us. Lord Jesus, would you be glorified, I pray. May your kingdom come and may your will be done in and through our lives tonight, I pray. Amen. Amen.